This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. For more audiobooks and other content, please visit reconstructionistradio.com. Book title: Church Shift. Author: Sunday Adelijah. Published by Charisma House. Copyright: 2008. Narrated by Jason Garwood. Chapter 13: The World is Waiting for You. Recently, I was invited to attend the high-profile Clinton Global Initiative meeting in New York City. We met to exchange ideas about solving global problems. At this meeting of the world's most powerful people, I converse with Madeleine Albright, Colin Powell, Richard Branson, the mayor of London, England, former heads of state, Desmond Tutu, and many other leaders. Everywhere I turned, there was a recognizable person. The setting was so informal that you could walk up to anyone and introduce yourself, which I did. But as I looked around, I saw very few church leaders. In fact, I can only recall seeing one other pastor there, the pastor of a large and well-known church in the United States. During the entire event, I wondered why this was so. I found my answer while talking to former President Bill Clinton. I wanted to know why I had been invited, so I asked him how he had heard about me and what I had done to merit being with all these bona fide leaders. He told me, I know about you. I like what I read about you. I love what you're doing. His answer spoke volumes to me about the state of the church. I had been invited because he had read about our church. If our church were only solving internal church disputes and concentrating on personal growth, Nobody would have cared about me, but because we have stepped into the kingdom role God has called us to, I was counted among the most powerful people in the world, at least for those few days. It was a privilege to participate in that summit, but it also broke my heart. I nearly wept at how irrelevant Christians have become. Believers, by and large, are so buried in their churches that they are invisible to the rest of the world. We disengage from the world and still claim to be doing kingdom work. Even worse is how we criticize people who are doing kingdom work. People like Bill Clinton and Rockstar Bono are putting kingdom principles to work, yet people condemn Bono because he doesn't act like American evangelicals, and they criticize Clinton at any opportunity because they don't like his politics or personal behavior. Bono's efforts have resulted in billions of dollars going toward poverty abatement programs, and Clinton's global initiative is addressing problems God wants solved, alleviating poverty, improving health, stopping religious and ethnic conflict, and taking proper care of the earth. We may disagree with their means to solving these problems, but most church leaders have not even addressed these issues. They're on the sidelines. In fact, they're not even in the stadium. These problems mean life or death for countless millions. They mean much more than what color the carpet in the chapel is or who will sing in the worship band. But the Christian community is largely mute on the major issues of the day. As a result, God has passed over many believers. The people meeting to discuss issues of national and international importance are, for the most part, not Christians. Yet they carry God's burden for the poor, the unhealthy, the prisoner, the orphan, and the downtrodden. They are doing exactly what Jesus would do. But we are like the Levite and the priest in the story of the Good Samaritan. Both passed by the dying man. Both apparently were too caught up in their religious worlds to help. But there is hope. If I, a nobody from Nigeria, can be counted among the world's most powerful, 
What would happen if the whole church shifted and began transforming society as we are doing in Ukraine? What if someday we invited world leaders to our global summit and they were compelled to come because Christians were on the leading edge of solving problems? What a day that will be. Wanted people. Whether or not you realize it, you are a wanted person. The world is waiting for you to find your promised land and deliver people from the kingdom of darkness. We all have our own promised lands commissioned to us from God, those special areas in society that desperately need our help. The world is waiting for the rulers of those promised lands to appear, you and me. Lost people want God's polished arrows to strike at the heart of injustice and unrighteousness. People know they need solutions to their problems and crises. They need to be unshackled. The Bible says, quote, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. End quote. Romans 8, 19-22 God has allowed the world to be subjected to futility so that we might set people free with news of his kingdom. We have all the answers. We are indispensable to the health and well-being of our nations. The world simply cannot do without us. But many Christians don't realize how badly people who don't know Christ are suffering. People in the world face diseases, loneliness, poverty, curses, depression, and more. One person is hooked on alcohol and narcotics. Another is suffering from an inability to understand his talent, and so he feels rejected and depressed. Many people are literally tormented inside from sickness, poverty, corruption, addiction, or injustice. The whole world is under the bondage of sin and the slavery of vanity. Who makes man a slave? The devil, who is the prince of this world. Perhaps you have forgotten what it feels like to live without hope. It is like living in hell. Billions of people live that way every day. I have heard Christians say they cannot preach salvation to some people because they don't have problems. This is never true. Everyone who does not know Christ, no matter his position in society or his achievements, is suffering from futility. Everyone living without God is in torment. People are waiting for you and me to unlock their chains. They want deliverance from suffering more than they want anything else. Only we, whom God calls kings and judges of the earth, can deliver people from darkness. The key to their salvation is in our hands. Everything the devil does for evil, God can turn into good. His will is that the earth, quote, also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God, end quote. Romans 8.21. The world is waiting for you. Blind leading the blind. Until you arrive in your promised land, people will grope around looking for solutions in the wrong places. Some people see the reason for their suffering an economic crisis, high prices, or an unfulfilling career or relationship. The thoughts of such people are concentrated on money, success, and self-gratification. Others think they will be released from suffering by finding a mate, or a new hobby, or prestige. 
But true happiness and joy are not guaranteed by any of these things. People who live according to the world's standards are confused, and they get into all kinds of trouble and destruction by chasing the wrong answers. Acts 17, 26-27 says God put in nations the desire to seek after him. Jesus is even called the desired of all nations, Haggai 2.7. All people have an inner emptiness that drives them to seek him. That's why there is so much idol worship in many nations. In a vacuum, people look for something to worship. Some nations worship money, sex, power, sports, and so on. They are waiting for someone to lead them into their proper destinies. Governments can't set people free from oppression, pain, disappointment, and depression. Only God can give self-esteem when people have none. The government can pass bills, but only the great healer can mend a broken soul. We are God's messengers to this generation, called by God to save mankind with the message of the kingdom. The whole world is waiting for you as it groans and travails. It's not enough for our churches to experience revival. Our nations must be transformed. The children of God must show the way of salvation to everyone else. In the times of ancient Israel, the Spirit of God was upon select people, judges, priests, kings, and prophets. But now God is raising up every believer in the family of God. He grants us all the authority and power of a king and a priest. There is not one Moses, but many. Give your life. Don't be afraid to suffer loss for the sake of Christ. He has already given his life for you. He died to save you. Therefore, let us do our utmost that the gospel may be spread throughout the whole world. Jesus said, quote, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. End quote. Matthew 16, 25. This is a choice each of us must make. When I graduated from university with distinction, I was told that I had a brilliant future. I had a chance to become a member of the Journalists' Union in Switzerland and to make a lot of money. But God said to me, I want you to stay in the Soviet Union and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you be a missionary? It was hard for me to make the decision. I prayed and cried, but in the end I decided to stay in the Soviet Union and follow God's will. Sometime later, God asked me if I would be willing to give my life for Ukraine. For two whole nights, I was not able to sleep because I was thinking about this question. Then suddenly, I understood that my life was not my own. The fear of death disappeared, and I said, Yes, Lord, I will give my life for you. Since that day, my life has only gotten better. God has given me a wonderful calling, a wife and children, and a church that is like family to me. When you give your life for the gospel's sake, you often get back a much better life. Be a donkey. As you shift to occupy your promised land, become a donkey for Christ. This is biblical, as the Gospels say, quote, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. End quote. Matthew 21, 1-7 Jesus needed a donkey and a colt to enter Jerusalem. He needs the same thing to enter your areas of influence. God is saying to us today, I want to enter your city. I want to enter your school. I want to come into your workplace and your social sphere. I want to be with your family. The harvest is great and I need laborers and co-workers. I am ready to impact your areas of influence through you, but I need your help. I need someone to carry my influence there. Anything I have attained in Ukraine or elsewhere is because I have made myself a donkey for Christ. When Jesus entered the city, people welcomed him with enthusiasm, strewing the road with their garments and with branches from the trees. But I'm sure they barely noticed the animal he rode in on. Yes, this creature had an important mission to carry the master. But his mission was about Jesus, not about his own reputation as a worthy pack animal. Carrying the Son of God was enough for him. That's the example I follow, abasing myself and remembering that people do not need or care about Sunday at Elijah, just as they do not need or care about you. Rather, they need the God you carry. God wants to use us so that his glory might fill the earth. But it is his glory we carry, not our own. Our job is to step surely and confidently doing our best as that donkey did the day it carried Jesus. I continue to do my best to make an impact for Christ. Recently, I spoke to the Israeli parliament. I have met with other countries as well to advise their government and leaders. I spoke to the United Nations. It's an amazing privilege, but through it all, I am reminded that I am God's foolishness, a boy from a Nigerian village that is so small it does not appear on any map. But God has used me to bring a message of personal and national transformation to the world. I hope you will allow your church to shift. I hope you will embrace your calling, find your promised land, and impact your world. Kingdom Principles from Chapter 13 Number 1. The Christian community is largely mute on the major issues of the day. The world is waiting for you to find your promised land and deliver people from the kingdom of darkness. Number two, lost people want God's polished arrows to strike at the heart of injustice and unrighteousness. We are indispensable to the health and well-being of our nations. Number three, everyone living without God is in torment. Number four, until you arrive in your promised land, people will grope around looking for solutions in the wrong places. Number five, The government can pass bills, but only the great healer can mend a broken soul. Number six, when you give your life for the gospel's sake, you often get back a much better life. Number seven, God wants to use us so that his glory might fill the earth. It is his glory we carry, not our own. Epilogue From the moment I was saved, the Lord made my life to be an example of what a Christian can accomplish when he goes for the best in God. I believe the Lord intends to do the same in every life. We must shift our thinking to allow him to do so. In the conclusion of this book, I think it will be a benefit and a blessing to share a brief analysis of my personal life. Saved at 19 years of age, I attended a gospel church where the word was preached. For only six months before I left the shores of my country for the atheistic stronghold of Russia. However, 
I had read so much Bible and Christian literature that my friends thought that I was preparing for a serious university examination, while the more serious believers thought that I was an ordained minister and at least a ten-year-old believer. I began pursuing God and totally committed to stop any of my previous entangling sin. Before my salvation, I had numerous girlfriends dating freely with them. Once I knew God had forgiven me for the sin of fornication, I vowed never to touch a woman again until I married. It never happened until age 27 when I met my darling wife, Bose. That is how I discovered the power of holiness and the role of decision in it. Not dating between the ages of 19 and 27 made people think that I was fanatical. That consecrated lifestyle made me focus on discovering God. The result? Divine encounters and revelations in the school of the Holy Ghost. So much that everywhere I preach or speak now, almost everybody asks me what Bible school or seminary I completed. In the real sense, I never completed any. In fact, I was never officially a church member. I will normally tell them I was trained in the wilderness of life. Maximum and absolute pursuit of God produces maximum and absolute discovery of God. If our faith is not absolute, it is paralytic. It is either 100% faith and commitment or nothing at all. Even though there was no church, pastor, or fellowship of believers in my years behind the Iron Curtain, my maximum aspiration for God yielded its undeniable result when communism came down. At the age of 33, I had built the largest church in the former Soviet Union. At 35, I built the largest evangelical and charismatic church in Europe. I am happily married and have written over 50 books. Now that I am 40 years old, I feel I have maximized my life so much in God that I feel like the Apostle Paul, who says he was ready to go be with the Lord, but had to be here on earth because it was better for his followers. I feel I have done so much at 40 that I can now dedicate the rest of my life to sharing my experience with the rest of the body of Christ. I feel that every single Christian can be a world changer, a Moses, and a deliverer in his generation. That is how I have taught my members in Kiev. We have been able to plan over 600 churches in over 40 countries just in the last 10 years of ministry. My friend and spiritual mentor, T.L. Osborne, once said, Pastor Sunday is a young old man, young because of his age of less than 40 years old, old because at such a young age he has known what old men like me know and has been able to accomplish what many old men like me have not been able to do. May your life and your church shift for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, be blessed.